Good evening to you. It's good to be together once again in Bible study. For our session tonight, let's turn over to Job number 42. Job chapter 42. Be ready to go right there. Job 42. We're delighted that you're here. And also, if you're tuning in from your house or wherever, we're grateful for that opportunity as well. We're studying different issues from the book of Job on Wednesday evenings right now. We look forward to getting into this study uh, tonight. We still have just a few coming in. Hey, Miss Sheila, come on in here. Good to see Miss Julie back there. Brother Weaver, Let's see him back. <clears throat> Let's take a moment and pray before we get into our study. Oh, Holy Father, as we approach your throne of grace, we're so mindful of your love and mercy toward us. We're thankful, Father, for every single blessing of life. We know, Father, all wonderful things come from your hand. Lord, we're especially mindful of the spiritual blessings in Jesus Christ. We're so grateful for His life. We're so thankful, O oh Lord, for the many previews and prophecies that came before Him. We're grateful for all the miracles that were involved in His life, things that He did, and also His miraculous birth. We're grateful, Father, for His Marvelous teachings left uh, for us to study and to apply to our lives. We're thankful for His suffering and death on our behalf. Uh, we depend so much, Father, on Your mercy and His shed uh, blood. We're thankful, dear God, for the burial and resurrection that took place, which gives us such a glorious hope. We're thankful, Father, for the church. We're thankful for the New Testament that guides us in this day and age we're grateful, Father, to be involved in the greatest uh, purpose and work upon this earth. We're thankful to be members of your body. We're thankful, Lord, anytime we have the opportunity to study and to bring glory uh, to your name through worship. Uh, be with us this evening, dear God, and help us to uh, try to block the things of the world out of our minds so that we can focus. And bless, bless our teachers this evening and uh, bless our little ones who have come our way. We've got a good crowd. We pray that things may be done well and things may be learned that will benefit all of us uh, everlastingly. Lord, we're going to be getting into uh, your book of Job and being mind, reminded once again of your awesome power. We're so thankful for that. Help us, Father, to know uh, where we stand. Help us to be humble. Uh, help us uh, to be quick to turn from our failures and wrongdoings. Lord, we most of all want to be at home with you in heaven, Father, and uh, to be there uh, forever and ever in your presence, and we look forward uh, to that day. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Last week we studied Job's sufferings and then his, the reactions of his friends. And we noticed that they did several things which were right, but they also got some things that were wrong. One major thing that they uh, 
they came and espoused, all three of them, was um, the idea that righteousness equals prosperity and that sin, if there's sin in your life, or rather if there's suffering in your life, then there must be sin. So righteousness equals prosperity and uh, suffering always means uh, sin. And in Job's case, they had gotten that, um, gotten that wrong. And in, in response and respect of God, they got it wrong. Suffering does not always mean uh, sin. Now, sometimes we do bring suffering on ourselves. We noticed that in our lessons uh, Sunday just a little bit, how that sin is very destructive. We noticed Sunday morning that sin can destroy our, our emotions. And sin can destroy our minds. We can become hardened and be insensitive to the callings of God through His, through His Word. Sin can destroy our bodies. Sin can destroy our homes, the church, but especially our relationship uh, with God. So sin is very destructive, and sometimes we do bring things upon ourselves. But Job's friends made the mistake to think that that's always the case. And um, this is uh, a world of suffering, and it will always be that way. And the righteous suffer along with the unrighteous. And that's one thing Job's friends would need to understand, and it's something that Job uh, wrestled with himself. The viewpoint this evening is, and this is kind of hard, but in Job 42, we notice that Job comes back to God. He takes some steps back to God. It's hard because that implies that Job um, had some failures and some sins and some weaknesses. And he did. He did. Uh, The Job that we are introduced to in the first couple chapters of the book of Job is astounding. And by and large, he, he retains that integrity and that character all the way through the book of Job. But just like um, anybody else, he has some times where he probably speaks um, in reference to God in a way he shouldn't. But think about the the dramatic um, the dramatic things that happened in his life. And so there's a great difference between Job and the friends of Job. They both had weaknesses, but Job was speaking from Desperate situations, whereas the friends were coming as comforters uh, to him. One thing, though, this points out is the integrity of the Bible. The integrity of the Bible. The heroes of the Bible, they are heroes. But the Bible, God, does not hide their weaknesses in regard to David and his sins. In regard, Paul would oftentimes... Um, admit his struggles with the flesh. Uh, the Bible does not leave out the denials of Peter whatsoever and the weaknesses of Peter are seen. But yet they are still heroes. Uh, Abraham struggled with some deceit uh, in his life, but still he was a hero of the faith. But that just lends itself, it just speaks to us just how real the Bible is. The book of Job is very real. And we find here in Job 42 that Job is taking some steps back to God. He had wandered away from God uh, a little, 
and he is taking steps back to God. I want us, I want us to see those steps together uh, this evening, okay? And so Job 42, beginning in verse 1. Job 42, beginning in verse 1. Notice what Job says. Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be restrained. English Standard Version says, no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Okay. So notice the first thing that Job does in coming back to God, taking a step back to God, is he acknowledges the greatness of God. Any one of us who come to God, any one of us who come back to God, that's a first major step. We must acknowledge the greatness of God. And when one is converted to Christ, he must acknowledge how great Christ is, starting, as I was praying a little bit ago, starting from the prophecies and the virgin birth and his miracles and his teachings and his suffering and his death and his resurrection, his ascension up on high, the promises he made that come true, the greatness of Christ. And so Job takes a step back to God in acknowledging the greatness of God. Okay. Now notice Job says, I know. I know. I know. There's a couple of, well, there's probably several times in the book of Job where Job says, I know. Let's notice a couple of those uh, places. Go back to chapter 19 with me, Job 19. This is a familiar one, Job 19, 25. Job 19, 25. We sing about this in our worship times. Job 19.25, Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. So Job, even in his suffering, he had been taught that a Messiah was coming, a Redeemer is coming. He put great hope in that. So notice Job says, I know God that you can do all things, but he also said, I know that my Redeemer uh, lives. Look at Job 30 and verse uh, 23. These are words of Job as well. Job 30 and verse 23. The wise man says, I know, Lord, that you will bring me to death and to the house appointed for all living. In other words, he acknowledges what we read in other passages of the Bible. And that is, uh, there is a house that's appointed to all the living. He refers to it here as death. Job knows that death is coming. Job knows there's a redeemer for all mankind. Job knows that God can do all things. Now, in your reading of the book of Job, what has brought this realization back to Job at this particular time of Job 42? What has brought this, this knowledge, this greatness of God back to him? How had his knowledge of the Lord been refreshed? Do what? God spoke to him. Okay. God let the friends of Job speak and they had their cycles of debate all the way through the book of Job, but then finally beginning in chapter 38 uh, tr through chapter 41, uh, 
God uh, brings a thorough exam of Job uh, to the forefront and basically says, Job, where were you when I did all these great things? Job, where are you as I keep the world moving? And it's well worth reading. Uh, I come close to just saying, let's have a reading of Job 38 through 41 this evening. It would take a while, but it is, it is well, we won't do that tonight, but it is well worth the reading. In chapter 38, God will ask Job, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Okay. Job, uh, where were you when I created the oceans? Where were you when I created the canyons and the springs in the ocean? Where were you when I created light and caused light to be able to travel across the universe? Job, where are you as I continue to keep all this in motion? Where are you, Job, when as the weather takes place and the rains come and, and then the, the uh, thunderstorms come and the lightning flashes across the sky? Where are you the orig originator of all this, Job? And then chapter 40, or 39 through 41, God takes Job on a tour of the animal kingdom and even, even gets down to the Leviathan and the behemoth, which just about have to be dinosaurs in chapters 41 and, and 40. Okay. But all the way through, and, and again, you know, just showing that Job, you lack power, and Job, you lack experience. Job, you have spoken out of turn. And what Job had done was not, he didn't really, he didn't really contend that righteous people should not have suffering. But he said his suffering was out of balance. You ever talk to God that way? Have you ever went to God in prayer and said, Lord, I understand that their life is not going to be easy, but it seems like I'm getting too much of the bad stuff. It seems like it's out of proportion, Lord. And that's where Job made his mistakes. Okay. Not that he thought he should be shielded from suffering, but he felt like in his situation, and maybe you would too, as much as he lost, think about all that he lost. He would go to God and say, you know, I just think it's a little bit much, Lord. But the Lord showed him, Job, you have no right to speak uh, against me in that way. So, very much so, Job says, I know uh, that you can do all things. And he had been refreshed in that knowledge uh, through chapters 38 uh, through 41. Here's one thing this shows. When, when we are stressed... We need the Word of God more than ever. When we are overwhelmed by situations, that's when we need to hear from God more than ever. God knew that Job needed to hear straight from Him. And for three chapters, have you ever seen such a thorough uh, rebuke, if you will, of a man of God in all of Scripture? But Job needed to hear from God. And when we are stressed, we must hear uh, from the Lord. We, God's not going to come and speak to us out of, out of a whirl, whirlwind like He did with Job. But He has provided us the Bible, and we need to be in the Word. Acts 20.32, Paul to the elders of the church at Ephesus said, Now I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace which is able to build you up and to give you the, 
the inheritance among those who are sanctified. So we must be in the Word. You want to handle stress? Then you'll let yourself hear from God on a very, very, very regular uh, basis. Notice Job acknowledges the greatness of God. There are three things here about the greatness of God. There is his knowledge, the knowledge about God, and then there's the power of God, and then there's the purpose of God. And when Job says, I know you can do all things and no purpose of yours, no thought of yours can ever be restrained. He's talking about knowledge, power, and purpose. Let's think about his power for a moment. That's another thing that Job needed to be reminded of as he went through those chapters 38 through 41. And Job understood that now. God, you can do, you can do anything. You can do anything. Is there anything that God cannot do? What's that? Yeah, God cannot lie. Titus 1, verse 2. When Paul was opening up his letter there to Titus, he said, I'm writing in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. God cannot lie. Anything else God cannot do? Okay, he won't save us against our will. That's very true. Very true. We mentioned uh, decisions there Sunday. Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. Okay. Habakkuk 1.13 says, God cannot look upon evil. He is much too holy to look upon evil. This is one of the reasons we so desperately need our Redeemer. We so desperately need the blood of Jesus. God cannot deal, he cannot walk with, he cannot have fellowship with, communion with, with that which is unholy. We are unholy because we are sinners, but because of the blood of Jesus, we can, we can have that fellowship uh, with God even still. Okay. Turn your Bibles over to Psalm 147 for a second. <coughs> Thinking about the power of God here for just a second. Psalm 147. How about 1 through 5? Somebody read for us Psalm 147, 1 through 5. Real loud. Somebody read for us. Great is our Lord, and great power, abundant in power, and His understanding is limitless. It's, it's, it's beyond uh, measure. Notice the verse preceding that in verse 4. He, um, he determines the number of the stars, and He gives to all of them their names. Their names. We have difficulty remembering names, don't we? God don't. 
He numbers all, he names all the stars. He knows their numbers. He's just incredibly powerful and intelligent, really beyond our ability to even say. So notice Job, in his first step back to God, he acknowledges his greatness. Part of that is just knowledge about God and then knowledge of God's power. And then think about his purpose for a moment. His purpose. We mentioned last week that in God's response to Job's suffering, that God does not bring up Job's suffering in chapters 38 through 41. He doesn't mention it. If we were going to go and comfort someone about their suffering, we would probably talk about the suffering. But there's something more important than Job's suffering. What is that? That is the existence of God. The purpose of God. What Job is saying here is, there is nothing more important than the purpose and the will of God. Not the rebellion of man, not the activity of Satan, and not the suffering of Job. Now think about what Job is swallowing here. And think about what he is confessing. He is confessing that God's purpose is more important than my little old suffering. This is a huge step in having a great foundation of faith. If we can get to the point that Job's at right here in Job 42, we're well on our way. We're well on our way. But until we get here, then we're still lagging behind. There's nothing more important, nothing in the world, not even our own fears, not even our own suffering is more important than the fact that God has a purpose on this earth. Anybody want to disagree with that? Do you want to take on God? It's what Job does. In chapter 31, 35, Job pleads that he wants to hear from God. Well, he, he finally gets his wish. And oh, does he hear from him. Where were you at, Job? Same thing would be said to me if God was speaking to you or me. Are you the one that keeps the world going? Not at all. Your life is not more important than what God has in His mind concerning His purpose on earth. So Job acknowledges the greatness of God. Step number two is... Job confesses wrongdoing. Notice chapter 42 again. Notice this time verse number 3. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Job, this is Job speaking. He says, Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Now the first statement there is interesting. Okay. God had spoken to Job, and Job remembers what God said. Take your Bibles and go back to chapter 38. Go back to chapter 38. Now this is God speaking to Job, Job 38, verse 2. Notice this. 
God says, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? So in chapter 42, verse 3, Job is bringing that question up back to God as he confesses his wrongdoing. In other words, Lord, I heard you. I heard you when you asked that question. What God was saying was, who is this man named Job who darkens counsel? In other words, Job, in your in the wrong words that you have spoken to me, you have uh, confused my, my counsel. You have confused my will. You've made it confusing for others to understand it. And Job had not forgotten that. You see, the way back to God is to internalize His Word. And Job, Job is bringing the words of God back up in his confession uh, to God. So notice that in Job 42 and verse 2. The first statement there is from Job 38, uh, verse 2. Or I'm, I'm sorry, Job 42, 3. The first part of Job 3 is from Job 38, verse 2. Okay, and then Job takes over here when he says, Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. In other words, Job is saying, Lord, I did say some things that were wrong. It was wrong of me to question your operation in the world. Have you done that in your mind? I know I have. Have you questioned God's operation, how he, takes, how he does the world, how he has set the world up, how things occur, how he's how he is very determined that man will make his own choices and man will oftentimes suffer from his choices and other people will suffer from man's uh, choices. But Job had questioned the operation of God and he says, I have uttered things that I should not have uttered. What about that just standing on its own? Is that a confession you've made to God? Lord, I have said some things I shouldn't have said. That would be a confession all of us could make at one time or another, maybe many times in our lives. But this is specifically aimed at the fact that Job knows now that he should not have lashed out against God. It's always wrong to lash out against God. There's just no question about it. If it was wrong for Job, think about Job and all that he's lost. Family, possessions, health. His wife turned against him. He was held in contempt in the presence of his friends. If, it was, if it's wrong for Job to lash out against God, then it would be wrong for us in any situation whatsoever. Turn your Bibles over to Romans chapter 9. For just a second, Romans 9. I think this fits the scenario here. In, in Job, Romans 9, Paul making the uh, point that it was right for God to bring the Gentiles into the church, give them the opportunity, and that the Jewish world had no right to question that. Beginning in verse 19, Romans 9. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? 
for who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded, say to the motor, what is a thing that is formed, will it say to that that who formed it, uh, why have you made me like this? Has not the potter uh, the right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honored use and another for dishonorable use? Where Job is being reminded of that very thing, that God is the potter and he is the clay. He is the created one. God is the creator. We're in the same boat. We have no right to speak back to God or to lash out to God in any circumstance it would, it would uh, seem. Now, this teaches us that when we speak about God, we better be right when we speak about God. If we're going to talk about God, we had better be sure that we are speaking from a soundness of Scripture when we speak about God. Because God pays attention, evidently. God has heard what Job's friends said. God has heard what Job has said. And now he has a chance to respond to Job, and now Job is confessing his wrongdoing. We read from 1 Peter 3 and verse 15 to sanctify in our hearts Jesus as Lord and be ready always to give an answer uh, to every man. We've got to be ready to do that, to speak about God um, in a loose fashion is very, very dangerous. I wish, I wish um, well, first of all, I wish I could grasp that better myself, but Certainly, the world needs to grasp, grasp that. There's so much said in the name of God that is not right. And oh, do they know the attitude of God toward that. And so notice that Job confesses wrongdoing. So in an intellectual way, he acknowledges the greatness of God. That's a step forward, step back to God. And then... The second thing he does, he, can, he humbly confesses wrongdoing, especially in regard to what he had said. Notice the latter part of Job 42 and verse uh, 3. He says, I have spoken things too wonderful for me. There are just some things about God that's higher than, than what we are able to understand. Take your Bibles and go to the book of Psalms again. Chapter 40 right quick. Psalm number 40. I'm going to read it right quick. Uh, Psalm 40 and verse 5. Psalm 40 and verse 5. You have multiplied, O Lord my God. Psalm 40 verse 5. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them Yet they are more than can be told. Notice that in Psalm 40 verse 5. I will talk about them, Lord. I will proclaim them. I'll I'll proclaim your deeds. I'll proclaim your thoughts. But in reality, they are more than can be told. Look at Psalm 139 in verse number 6 in this regard. Psalm 139 and 
verse 6. David talking about how God knows when we're sitting down, God knows where we're at. He knows when we're sitting down. He knows when we're rising up. He knows our thoughts from afar off. That's verses 1 and 2. Then notice verse 6. David says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. In other words, David said, I can't even approach the kind of knowledge that God has. It's just too wonderful. It's too much. That demands respect from God. With, with God being so great, high, and powerful, as Isaiah 55, 9 says, His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Then that demands respect. And that's what Job is learning again. I don't think Job had left it at all. I don't think Job got rebellious against God. It's just in the midst of his suffering, it was not as fresh on his mind as it once had been. And he was coming back to that. Okay. Any thoughts before we move on to the next step that Job takes coming back uh, to God? Any, any thoughts? Brother Rogers is saying that oftentimes, when, especially when we're stressed and suffering, uh, we do get to focusing on ourselves. And in chapters 38 to 41, it seems like God is opening up the big picture for Job. And yeah, it's like Job said, yes, this is so right. Yes, you are much more powerful. I, I, should, not have, I have, should not have started in that direction at all. Good point. Right. So the next part is that you notice verses uh, 4 and 5, Job 42. Job pretty much honestly says, look, I was blind, but now I see. This kind of relates to what Brother Roger was just saying. Job now sees the big picture. Let's, let's study this out just a second. Job 42, verse 4. Notice the first part of verse 4. Here and I will speak, I will question you, and you make it known to me. This is again Job remembering what God said to him. Go back again in your Bibles to chapter 38 and verse number 3 this time. God says to Job as he starts to talk to him, he says, You dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. See, Job is remembering how God started this conversation uh, with him. The reason that Job is taking these steps back to God is because he didn't forget what God said. Look at chapter 40, God speaking to Job, verse number 7. Chapter 40 and verse 7. Again, God takes a moment with Job and says, Job, dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Okay. In other words... It, it, there's a statement that Peter makes in 1 Peter 1, uh, 13 that you might want to write down. Uh, Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, if you're going to serve God, 
you can't be weak-minded. You've got to have a stout heart. It's not the easy life. If you're going to contend with God, if you're going to work these things out of God and life and suffering and continue to do His will in spite of that, then you've got to be somebody who's willing to be courageous and step out and, and be a man for God. That's what God is saying to Job. Job, you wanted this conversation? You want to really know what's going on? Then get yourself ready. Okay, he's not saying go put on some different clothes. He's saying get your mind ready because we're about to battle. And guys, we need to have some battles with God. Only you can do that battle with God. Through study and through prayer and through living it out in your life. And so uh, it, it's, it's, it's not for the weak-minded. Following Christ is not for the weak-minded. But he says here in Job 42, verse 5 now, he said, notice, notice Job's words. He says, I had heard of you, Lord, by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. I think a lot of us can say that. We've heard God's words for years. That's what Job is saying. God, I've been hearing you for years. But I've been blind. I see now. I see. I've been hearing. There's a difference between hearing and seeing. And a lot of people have a lot of Scripture walking around with them, but they don't see the truth. And that's our job to help Help the world see the truth. Turn your Bibles um, as, Paul, as, um, as Christ is calling Saul of Tarsus uh, to him. Uh, Acts 26, 18, I think it is. Uh, notice the, the commission that Saul is given. Uh, let's see. Uh, Acts 26, um, 17. Uh, Delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending... I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's our mission as well, to help people see the truth. There's a lot of difference in hearing the gospel and seeing the gospel. Revelation 1.3 speaks about a blessed are those who read the words of this prophecy and hear them, and then do them. It starts with hearing, but there are many steps beyond just hearing uh, the word. And Job's, Job is confessing here uh, to the Lord that, Lord, I did, I, I did not see. Reminds us of amazing grace, don't it? I once was blind, but now I see. Can't we all say that? And can't we continue to say it the more Scripture we learn? The more we learn about God? I know every time I go back into the book of Job, I, I say that again. I, I, I say, I've been so blind. Um, now I see. One thing that Andrew was, he and I were talking about some of these passages uh, yesterday. One, one big issue in the book of Job is simply to ask the question, who's in charge here? Who's in charge? And over and over again, who is in charge? Is it Satan? Is it Job? Is it Job's friends? 
Or is it God Almighty? Run back with me to, to Job uh, chapter 2 for a second. God's conversation with Satan. Job 2 verse 4, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and flesh, and he will curse you to your face. That's Satan's plan. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. Who's in control there? God, God is in control. And that's what the book of Job is really all about is that he, God is in control. It don't matter what's going on in our minds or in somebody else's minds. No matter what Satan is able to do, God does not fail. God is in charge. Job confesses that he had been blind, but now he's able to see much better. Then notice Job 42, verse 6. He says... I despise myself, I abhor myself, and I repent in sackcloth and ashes. This is Job, Job speaking. What does Job repent of? He's not repenting of the false charges of his friends. Don't do that. No matter how well-meaning you may be, don't, don't confess to something that's not, that you haven't done that's wrong. Don't confess to a wrong that you haven't done. When we speak the truth, we try to do it in love. But sometimes we're accused of being, you know, arrogant or whatever. But I'm not going to confess that I'm arrogant because I know I'm not arrogant. I know the most humble thing you can do is to open up the Bible and let the Bible direct you. That's the most humble thing you can do. I'm not going to say, oh, you're right. Uh, I, I, I was arrogant on that. I'm not going to say that because it's not true. Don't confess to something that's not true. Job was not confessing to the false charges of his. His friends wanted him to say, well, yeah, I have sinned. Job, Job's not confessing to that, but he is confessing to what God is saying about him. And we should confess when God accuses us, when God, when God brings us down, when God humbles us, we definitely should open up and repent. That's what Job is doing here. Sackcloth and ashes. There's different aspects of this. It seems like Job is using his mind, but he's also allowing this knowledge to make him humble. But he's allowing this knowledge of God also to, to make him honest. I was, I was blind, but now I see. It seems like verse 6 is, is more involved. Uh, his, his emotions are involved. Because he really feels terrible, and he is making the commitment, Lord, I will not go back to this. That's what repentance is. That's, repentance is to determine, I'm not going to do this anymore. Anymore. Uh, this, I'm done with this. I will never question you again. I will never lash out at you again. I repent in sackcloth and ashes. How does God respond to Job here in Job 42? Well, notice... If you'll keep reading with me in Job 42, verse 7. After the Lord has spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz, one of Job's friends, the Temanite, he says, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken to me what is right, as my servant Job has. 
See, there's a difference in the weaknesses of Job and then the outright practical rebellion of his friends. So in verse 8, So now therefore, God speaking to the friends of Job, Eliphaz especially, Take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you. And I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken to me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar went and did what the Lord told them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer in their behalf. When we come back to God, God will always use us to reach out to others. Think about the mercy of God here. God has very great concern for Job. But Job is not the only one on God's heart. God is concerned for these three friends. Even though they spoke foolishly, even though they accused Job falsely, yet God doesn't want their sins to condemn them. So He creates this sacrifice and prayer from Job. Of course, these are back in patriarchal times. We live not in those times, but in, of course, the under the covenant of Christ. But still, the spirit of this is should be real for us. If we haven't become a Christian, then we need to repent sincerely, honestly, humbly, like Job, and be baptized. As Christians, again, we need to let the greatness of God refresh our minds and, and then follow and confess to God and pray to Him uh, like Job. Appreciate you working through here part of Job 42. And next week we will pose some questions uh, from the book of Job that I think will um, be very interesting. So I look forward to that. Appreciate you being in class uh, this evening.